We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We're brought to you by the Blue Wire Network and by Harry's Razors. You can go to harrys.com slash blue wire, get a great deal on some razors. We'll talk to you a little bit more about that later in the show. I uh, wanted to start off, Jason, by talking about a podcast appearance I did yesterday on NBC Sports Chicago. Did it with Mark Shanowski and Kevin Anderson. I've gotten to know those guys a little bit. Because every once in a while, I pinch hit on the Sports Talk Live show, which is the NBC Sports Chicago show that Dave Kaplan usually hosts. It's a pretty fun thing to do because I don't just talk about basketball. I got to drop some Cubs hot takes, the last me Blackhawks questions. I'm talking about the Bears with Hubbard Kush. It's generally a pretty fun thing to do. So I've been lucky enough to go on a couple times with Mark, uh, develop a little bit of a relationship with him. Kevin, I've known for years on Twitter. He's a really great guy. So recently, they've asked me to do their Bulls Talk podcast a couple times, and it's really fun. I did it last night, and they started off asking me about Kobe White in Summer League and where I thought he would be in the rotation. And I told them that after Kobe White struggled in Summer League, I really thought that he was likely to be the third guard off the bench, or the third guard in general, behind Thomas Sadoransky, behind... Ryan Archie Diacono, likely behind Chris Dunn, if he isn't moved, I believe he will be, when the season starts. And people absolutely flipped out when they put this on a graphic after they tweeted about it. Basically, a pull quote said that I think Archie Diacono will be ahead of Kobe White in the rotation, and people totally lost their mind. Well, here's the thing, Jason. And for all the praise we've given the Bulls this offseason, their plan is pretty transparent, right? Their plan is to be good for two years, try to make the playoffs for two years, and then position themselves as a young team on the rise in 2021 to sign a star-level free agent. So here's my question for you, Jason. Does that plan have a chance to work if the Bulls don't make the playoffs this year? Let's say they you know, win 35 games. At that point, are they still a team on the rise? Now, I'm not so sure the Bulls are going to look so appealing to free agents if they don't make the postseason in both of these years. So I think the Bulls have a very transparent goal at the start of this year to make the playoffs. You look at the Eastern Conference, there's probably six locks. I'm counting the Nets in that. Uh, I'm counting the Pacers in that. The Pacers are the team to me that could slip a little bit, given Victor Oladipo's injuries coming back from an ACL in January at best. And 
it's unlikely for him to regain his previous all-star form right away. So maybe the Pacers drop down a little bit, but essentially you've got four teams vying for two spots. It's going to be the Heat, the Bulls, the Magic, and the Pistons. So when I'm saying that I think Ryan Archidiakono is going to be ahead of Kobe White in the early season rotation, what I'm saying is that it's going to be tight going down to the wire for the Bulls to get one of these final playoff spots. I don't think they can afford to let Kobe White learn on the fly and make mistakes on the fly early in the season because they need those wins to try to make the playoffs to fulfill their ultimate plan of getting a free agent in 2021. So Kobe uh, obviously struggled quite a bit in summer league. I still thought he showed some positive signs. He was shooting the ball horribly. Now, uh, the hope is that his sample that he showed in college will be more indicative of the type of shooter he is uh, than what he showed in summer league when he only shot 10% from three-point range. We only shot 33% from the field. But it is my inclination that Kobe White is going to be a developmental prospect for the Bulls in that Ryan Archidiakono, who's pretty good for the Bulls last year, I did misquote his three-point percentage on that podcast. I said it was 44%. It was actually 37%. But I still think Archidiakono at least has proven he can handle some NBA minutes. He is bad defensively, but I don't know if Kobe's going to be much of an upgrade on Archidiakono defensively, especially as a rookie. So I think the Bulls are going to take it slow with Kobe. That's a luxury they have. I think that's going to be beneficial for Kobe in the long term. I think it's going to be beneficial for the Bulls. I've always been high on Kobe, but I do not expect Kobe to be playing 25 minutes a game from the start of the season. And there's even part of the fan base that thinks that he should be the starter. We'll talk about that a little bit more later at point guard. Dude, if the Bulls are really trying to make the playoffs this year, that's not happening. If Kobe White's the starting point guard, it would be a straight-up disaster in terms of short-term wins and losses. Uh, So I just wanted to start off this podcast by defending myself a little bit because my mentions have been overflowing with haters since that podcast came out. So I guess I'll address a few of your points here. You talk about the plan, the transparency of their plan. I think a lot of us are basically saying the Brooklyn Nets, that they're, they're trying to do what the Nets did. They rebuilt pretty quickly after the disastrous trade that they made with the Celtics. And now they they make the playoffs this, this past season. They get Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. Like if you look at the bulls, like in terms of like the next two seasons and the whole t- hashtag 2021 plan, I don't think they necessarily have to make the playoffs this year to make that work. Because I mean, the Nets last season, what won 30 games or two seasons ago, won 30 games. They make the playoffs this year. Good Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. That's obviously that's also kind of a special situation just because not only with the Nets showing a lot in terms of their culture and their stuff on the floor, I mean, Kyrie Irving is from Brooklyn. Kevin Durant wanted to go play in New York. Uh, they wanted to play together. That's, so that's kind of a special case. I think the Bulls probably do have to show a bit more. Does that necessarily mean the playoffs this year? I think if they won 35, 37 games, whatever, I think that would be a meaningful step forward if they then went and won like 45 to whatever, 50 or got in the 40, something like that in 2020, 21 season, then maybe. Uh, turning to Kobe White, I would generally agree with you in terms of him being more of a raw developmental prospect on uh, that, that the Bulls will need patience. I wrote something at Bet Chicago that published today, just kind of recapping his summer league. And you mentioned he really struggled with the shooting. Uh, he shot like 34% overall. He shot three of 30 on three pointers, which is obviously really terrible. I mean, I'm not panicking about that. He, a lot of the shots in terms of, I mean, just that kind of setting, a lot of the shots, the shot selection wasn't great. He's doing a lot of the ball handling. He's taking a lot of tough shots. And he, I believe he struggled with his pull-up and step-back three-point shooting in college. He was really good catch and shoot. Other stuff off the dribble, not so much. And we kind of saw that in the summer league. I'm not worried, but I think it just, 
in general. You mentioned he did some good stuff as well. He did transition and all that. I think in general, though, we kind of saw that. I mean, he's a young point guard. He's 19 years old. He's not really a natural point guard. Not really a, doesn't have the natural feel for the position. I would absolutely be stunned if he started. 25 minutes a game seems like a whole lot. Like, I don't know if he'll play in the G League at all, but like, and, and they'll probably use him at the two as well off the bench. But in terms of like Archie Diacono being definitely ahead of him in the rotation, I'm not sure if I'm going to go that far, but I mean, I feel like Kobe White's definitely going to be brought along slowly. John Paxson even said it last week that they're going to need patience with him. In general, I do agree with you that Kobe's going to need time. They're not going to be playing him 30, 25 to 30 minutes off the bat. At least I would be surprised by that. Clearly, you, you would be as well. And I think I don't. I really don't think he's going to move the needle that much this season. I just think he's going to be inefficient. He's going to make mistakes, turn the ball over. I guess you just got to hope that as the year goes on, as he'll hopefully maybe his minutes go up, he starts learning the position a bit better. He starts becoming more efficient. And so maybe by the end of the season, if the Bulls are still in a playoff race, He'll either be just a really good six man. I would be surprised if he takes over as a starter at the end of the season as well. But I mean, just hopefully he's a big contributor by the end of the season. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I just think that, you know, it, it's a luxury the Bulls have after signing a, a good starting quality point guard in Thomas Adaransky to bring Kobe along slowly. Uh, you don't really need him to take his lumps, especially when you are trying to win, trying to make the playoffs this year. Now, that point you made about the Nets two years ago, that's definitely a good one. Here's the real question, though. What was the biggest motivating factor for those guys to sign with the Nets? Or what's the biggest motivating factor for any free agent to make a decision, a max level free agent, uh, to change teams in free agency? I'm thinking that it has more to do with like interpersonal recruiting relationships, like the relationships you develop with other guys on the team, like Spencer Dinwiddie and Kyrie had a class together at Harvard. And that was one of the ways that Kyrie, you know, became interested in the Nets. So obviously LA was its own pull for Kawhi. He's from there. Uh, Just that market in general, I think was a big pull for him. So the Raptors showed that even if you win the championship, you don't always get to keep your star level free agent. It's just a really risky plan for the Bulls in general. I do think that just improving the team and trying to take a jump up in the standings to at least attempt to compete for the playoffs this year is the right thing to do. Uh, it'll be a really fascinating thing to track over the next couple seasons. Now, there was some Bulls news today, Jason. They finally announced the signing of Lou Cornett. Reported two years from the start, but we weren't really sure how much it was. And uh, Shams Trania of the Athletic in the Stadium reported that it's two years that about like four, four and a half million dollars. I don't think we actually know Yet, I I did not see if we know if it's part of the room exception or if the, I think that would be part of the room exception. I'm not totally sure, but basically two years, basically like a couple million a year for two years, fully guaranteed contract. I mean, that's that's totally fine for basically your backup center. I feel like that's just whatever. Like Again, Luke Cornett, basically a seven-footer. He was with the Knicks, Knicks this past season. He had a huge game against the Bulls. He rained a bunch of threes. He can block some shots. As your backup center, stretch five with the way they're, they're going to play, totally fine. Like I said, maybe I'm kind of surprised they fully guaranteed it, depending on how things go this year. Maybe they would have like a, a team option on the second year or something, but still, it's it's a small deal. I really have no qualms with fully guaranteeing two, whatever, two years for four, four and a half million dollars. I really like Luke Cornett. I think he gives them a great stretch option in the front court. Off the bench, if you think, you know, whether it's Felicio or Daniel Gafford is going to kind of be your rim roller uh, off the bench. It's nice to have a guy who could space the floor. Luke Cornett 
Uh, he's basically Brooke Lopez in training wheels in terms of his ability to just get up threes at a high clip. Most of his shots are coming from three. I think he took like 65% of his shots from three-point range last year. Also blocked 4.5% uh, of his shots during his time on the floor. So that's pretty impressive. I like the Cornette move. The Bulls also wrapped up Summer League, Jason. Pretty underwhelming Summer League display for the Bulls. Yeah, we talked about Kobe White. Struggled with the shooting. Had some other moments. Uh, with the transition stuff, with this passing. Daniel Gafford, you mentioned Daniel Gafford was really good. Uh, just overall, I think he averaged something like 14 and 8, three blocks a game, just really solid number. He was kind of dunking and blocking shots all over the place. I think we talked about this last, pot- last podcast, like I'd be fine basically putting him ahead of Felicia right now if he wants to be the fifth big man. Obviously, some really caveats. He won't look as good against actual competition, but I just kind of liked what I saw in terms of his activity level. And his work around the rim, he can't do anything else if you take him away from the basket on either end, really. But as like a fifth big, young big man, project big man, if he can rim run and he can block some shots, that's basically more than Felicio can do at this point. So I think he might get some spot minutes as a rookie. Uh, And then Chandler Hardison was awful. We talked about this last week as well. He ended up shooting, I think, sub 30% or right around 30%. Really, it's really poor numbers for an older second-year player. Again, we did mention last time that he did have the injury last season. He was so this was his first action, but really struggled. So yeah, the Bulls they went two and three. They did not qualify for the summer league tournament. They lost their last game. There's really not much more to say. Like we talked about Kobe, he ups and downs. He's gonna be patient. Daniel Gafford, pretty impressive. Chandler Hudson, not not good at all. Uh, I guess really the only other that possibly interesting guy was Adam Makoka, the wing that they signed to a two-way contract. I honestly did not watch him that closely. He did shoot a little better from the outside than I expected. A couple of games I did watch, he had a couple three-pointers. That was something that was a, a problem of his coming in, just not the best shooter, not, not the best offensive player. I mean, he looked fine as a two-way player, guy you take a chance on. Maybe maybe he'll get some minutes at some point if there's injuries. But other than that, I feel like it wasn't that notable of a summer league for the Bulls. But, I mean, it, it is summer league. You can never take too much out of it. Yeah, I feel like the Bulls kind of have a history of guys looking better in summer league than they do in actual NBA games. I wouldn't be surprised if Gafford is one of those guys. To me, Gafford is a high floor second round pick. I don't think he's a particularly high ceiling second round pick. Guys like Bull Bull, Taylor Horton, Tucker still on the board with that pick would have been a little bit more swing for the fences. I think if they can just find a rotation guy in Gafford that it would make John Paxson and Gar Foreman look really good. And that's why they took him. Here's my thing with Gafford, though. He has great vertical athleticism. He does not have good lateral athleticism. He looks, he just struggles to move laterally. He's not going to be a guy who's going to like hard hedge a screen and contain a ball handler for a few seconds on the perimeter. So I think going against actual NBA competition, he's basically going to be a drop big man, not a chase and recover big man. Uh, I think that limits his impact defensively. I don't think he's going to look as good in actual NBA games as he did in summer league. Cole Zwicker who's a, a good Twitter follow on all things draft. He made a similar point. So I would say pump the brakes with Gafford a little bit. I still think he's mostly going to be in the G League, but he did look really good in Summer League. That's encouraging. I, I thought Makoka looked solid too, especially for a guy who I didn't really know anything about coming in. Yeah. He does look athletic. He looked like he was at least like a relatively high IQ player from the games I saw. He didn't make any like horrible mistakes with the ball uh, and he even knocked down a couple threes, like you said. So. All in all, pretty much the least interesting summer league team the Bulls have sent out there in the last few years, but they actually have an improved NBA squad this year, so I guess we can take solace in that. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I was I was actually thinking of that Cole Zwicker tweet right when you brought it up because I had saw I had seen that yesterday. I'll just read it out real quick. It was he said some guys you can just see the blood in the water that won't get exploited as much in the setting like Gafford's lack of knee bend slash rickety balance changing directions in space. It's kind of what you were talking about. And his bounding style is going to be glaring when you move up. But he said he likes him with Kobe White and Hutchinson playing up tempo on offense, which I feel like that makes sense. Like in terms of you said like vertical athlete. Him getting out and running and doing all that stuff and going and dunking and blocking shots, it's all great. But once he, if you put him in pick and rolls and stuff like that, it could get ugly. But so again, like if, if he's the number 38 pick, if he turns into a rotation player, that's a win for a second round pick. Absolutely. So we asked for some questions for this podcast. I start a few that I'm going to read off. Someone asked, who starts game one at point guard? I would be shocked if it's anyone other than Thomas Sadoransky. I know that Jim Boylan said during a summer league interview that he's still considering Chris Dunn part of that starting five. I don't think Dunn will be on the team. Even if Dunn is on the team, I don't think he's going to start. I think Sadoransky was signed to be the starter at point guard. I think that's going to be his spot from day one. And I think that he's going to start the vast majority of the games for the Bulls this year at point guard. At least I hope so. He's been a durable player throughout his career. Thomas Sadoransky is the Bulls starting point guard this year, Jason. I would agree. And first of all, is it Thomas or is it Tomas? I've been saying Tomas. It's Tomas. And I wasn't sure. I've been saying Tomas and you were saying Thomas and I was confusing. I wasn't, I wasn't totally sure. Uh, I totally agree with you there. I feel like you don't go out and give whatever three years, 30 million, although that third year is partially guaranteed. I feel like you don't do that if you don't plan on him making him the starter. And while you mentioned the Boylan thing, when he said that at summer league, I mean, everything that John Paxson has basically been saying has been, that they wanted to upgrade at the starting point guard spot. And they drafted Kobe White, but we don't think he's ready yet. I don't think they think he's ready yet. So they go out and get Sadoransky, who started 54 games for the Wizards with John Wall out this past year. Real solid player. I think he fits in in terms of just being the more low-usage guy. He can shoot three-pointers and play off Zach Levine if when Zach Levine's going to be a primary ball handler and stuff like that. So I agree with you that Sadoransky, I would bet, is the starter as well. All right, here's another one. This is one on a topic near and dear to my heart. Will the Bulls have a player better than 2017 Jimmy Butler on the roster in the next five years? I don't think we appreciate Jimmy Butler's 2016-17 season enough. This was the year of the three alphas. Butler was absolutely incredible during that year, Jason. I'm going to throw a few advanced stats at you for Jimmy Butler. Win shares, 13.8. BPM, 6.9, VORP, 6.3. Now, what goes into those statistics? People can like you know question the input. What you can't really question is the output. So what I did is I went to basketball reference and I put in those three stats. I wanted guys who had win shares above 13.5, who had BPMs above 6.5, and who had VORPs above 6. And there's only been seven seasons in the last three years. So starting with the 2016-17 season when Jimmy did it, Uh, There's only been seven individual seasons to accomplish it. Three of them are by James Harden. One's by Giannis, one's by LeBron, one's by Kawhi. So that's how good Jimmy Butler was in the 16-17 season. He was a high-usage power point guard who never turned the ball over, who improved as a passer, who scored efficiently, who got to the line at will, who was a plus defender. Jimmy Butler was a total stud during that 2016-17 season. And the typical refrain 
from a lot of Bulls fans in favor of trading Butler at the time was, well, you can't win a championship with Jimmy Butler as your best player. Well, just judging by these elite stats or by these advanced stats, he was as elite as anyone in the last three years, right up there with Harden, Giannis, LeBron, Kawhi. You know, even if he wasn't operating on exactly those levels, that's just how efficient and how dominant he was and his tangible impact on winning during his last season on the Bulls. So, no, I don't think there's any way the Bulls are going to have a player better than Jimmy Butler in the next five years, not better than he was in the 2016-17 season because Jimmy Butler was amazing. And now that the Bulls are trying to make the playoffs, they're likely taking themselves out of the top draft picks. Now it's possible the Bulls could, you know, miss the playoffs in the East. And because of lottery reform, you still have a decent chance to get in the top four. That would be huge for the Bulls. That might actually be the best case scenario of this season. It, it is, quite frankly, is for the team to show a lot of improvement, miss the playoffs, still jump into the top four of the draft. But man, I just don't see any way they're going to have a player better than 16, 17 Jimmy Butler on this team within the next five years. So I got a few more numbers for you from that season. Uh, now that you bring it up, because I spent a long portion of that season. The Bulls were miserable that season. Let's 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 start there. That was a horrible, miserable season to watch with the three alphas. They were mediocre as hell all season. Rondo was a jamoke. Wade was trying half the time, and basically the only saving grace was was Jimmy. And I was re- arguing with people online all that season, saying that Jimmy Butler was bona fide top ten player that season. You brought up those stats. I got a few more for you. If you look at ESPN's RPM, real plus minus. Look at his RPM that season. He was number seven. Only LeBron, CP3, Steph, Draymond, Kawhi, Jokic were ahead of him. If you look at RPM wins, uh, which is just another basically advanced set based off RPM, Jimmy was third behind only LeBron and Steph Curry. Third that that season. Like obviously these catch-all stats don't always mean everything. But if you just look, if you take them all together and you mention those other stats that you mentioned, these stats right here, and I think if you look at just like on-off stats as well, like that season, like Butler was incredible that season. Bonafide top 10 player. You could argue even top seven, top eight in that area. And it just, it was, it was just kind of overshadowed because the Bulls were a hot mess and the team wasn't any good. The rest of the team around him was trash. The fit was horrible. And despite all of that, he put together a fantastic season and they went on and traded him. So will the Bulls be able to get a player that is a top seven, top eight, a two-way stud player like that? There, there could be opportunities out there in the next few years. They either trade for somebody, if they sign somebody in 2021, I'm not sure. But they're going to have to get a def- definite, bona fide, proven star. Because if you look at the roster right now, I don't think anybody on this roster is going to be a top seven NBA player. Like, Could the Bulls be better with the, with the core that they have now than they, than they were in with the three alphas? Absolutely, because, the, because they have other players that are actually good. That season was just such a mess that Jimmy's greatness was overshadowed. So yeah, I would be surprised as well if they get anybody... I mean, I'm not saying they can't. It's a very high bar to clear. Yeah, the failure of that season was on the Bulls. It was not on Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler did everything he could to will that team into the playoffs and to get him a couple of wins there. The failure was on John Paxson and Gar Foreman to build around him. And they realized they were just so incompetent at their job with a two-way stud in the prime of his career on an undermarket deal that they just threw their hands up. They said, we are too stupid to build a great team, to build even a contending team in the Eastern Conference around this phenomenal player. We give up. We raise the white flag because we're dumb and we suck. <laughs> so that that's how good Jimmy Butler was. Next question. OPJ, Lowry, Levine, Wendell Carter Jr. How many wins do the Bulls get if Valentin plays more games than any of those players 
I was misreading this question when I first got it. The way that I interpreted it is that let's say all of those guys stay healthy. How many games can the Bulls theoretically win? Let's say, you know, they all stay healthy for 75 plus games. I was reading this question as what is the Bulls like true home run upside for next season? Best case scenario year. I would say probably the seven seed, maybe the six, but I don't really see that. I think, you know, you're probably looking at a slightly above 500 record uh, is the absolute best case scenario for next year. I know that wasn't exactly the question, but that's how I was interpreting it when I read it. I believe there was actually somebody else that did ask that question, basically what happens. You might've mixed a couple of the questions together because there definitely was somebody that asked what happens if they basically all stay healthy, what's their ceiling before I give my answer with that. We're going to take a quick word from our sponsor, Harry's. All right, guys. Blue Wire's teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. So go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. So Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. So please, join the 10 million who have tried Harry's and claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. And if you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, Make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for only $3. Hell of a deal. Here's a question from my boy, Jermaine. And actually, I want to make one last point. Well, I said, I, I need to answer the first question first, the other one about their ceiling. Okay. You said, like, what, seven seed? That probably sounds about right. I feel like if every, like, everything goes right, all these guys play like 70, 75 or more games. And they, they, they like all develop like really well. Boylan has them playing great. They're better defensively than expected. I mean, maybe they can get to like 45-ish. I mean, I've had people, I've had obviously like C-Red fans in my mention tell me that they get to like 50 wins, which is like absolutely, I think, crazy. I mean, they won 22 games last year. I think the Bulls actually did do that. Like, like the baby Bulls went from like mid-20s to like 47 wins. I mean, it's I guess it's kind of happened before. But I, I said best case, probably low to mid 40s. I think they mid, went into mid to high 30s because there's always injuries. There's always stuff that goes wrong. So that is my answer on that one. Take it away for the next one. Okay, someone asked, Summer League is by no means a forecast for the future, but would the Bulls have been better off with Jackson Hayes and Carson Edwards as opposed to Kobe White and Daniel Gafford? So obviously it's way too early to answer this question. I did a list of the best rookies in summer league for espionation.com earlier this week. I had Jackson Hayes number two. I had Carson Edwards, I think number five. Uh, Both of those guys were unbelievably good in summer league. You look at Kobe White and Carson Edwards, you compare and contrast their games. Carson Edwards is a legitimately unbelievable shooter. Kobe's sort of a theoretical shooter. Carson Edwards is a great shooter right here, right now. Carson Edwards is also way stronger than Kobe White. He can actually absorb some contact at the rim. He's faster in and out of his moves as a ball handler. Uh, Kobe's taller. He's way taller. He's four inches taller than him. But Carson Edwards is actually longer. It's six foot six. So he's longer, stronger. He's a better shooter. 
I think that Kobe definitely has more potential as a playmaker. But you know what? Even though Carson Edwards went with this third pick in the second round, I don't think it's totally impossible. He could be better than Kobe White. Uh, he dropped in large part because he's short. He didn't have a great junior year for Purdue. He's, he's two years older, whereas, you know, Kobe gets the boost from being a one and done. I think that, you know, it's definitely on the table. And then you have Jackson Hayes. Now, there was rumors the Bulls like Jackson Hayes. He was a center out of Texas, kind of a late bloomer, quick riser up draft boards, was not considered a top 75 recruit coming into the year uh, for Texas. Most recruiting services to him as a top 100 guy. So he was way off the radar. He was just such an athletic freak. That's the only word to really describe him uh, during his freshman year at Texas that he blossomed into a guy who ultimately went number eight overall. Now, at the time, I thought that, you know, the Bulls couldn't really use the number seven overall pick on Jackson Hayes because you already have a pure five in Wendell Carter Jr. You already have a four five combo in Markinen. It's okay to draft guys at the same position, but you need versatility. And those guys just don't really have a lot of versatility being that they're all clearly fives uh, with marketing being able to play some four. So I didn't love it at the time, but I wouldn't be surprised if Jackson Hayes ends up as the second best player in this class. I'm not predicting it, but I think that scenario is certainly on the table. Uh, so yeah, I mean, maybe the Bulls would have been better off drafting Hayes and Edwards. I think that, you know, that scenario is, is certainly plausible. Yeah. Jackson Hayes looked incredible in some league. I mean, we watched him just dunk all over the Bulls and, Dunked, he basically murdered a man on the court. He also elbowed a, he blocked a shot with his elbow. Uh, just absolutely incredible. And he played really well in the other games. Well, it's going to be really, t- I'm not even sure if he's going to play that much as a rookie because the Pelicans have, uh, they're really deep. I, mean, I feel like they just killed, they look like they killed this draft between Zion, him and Kyle Alexander Walker. Uh, and they have, they signed Derek Favors to be their starting center. I can't remember who else they got, but I feel like they're a deep team. We're just going to see if Hayes plays at all. Because yeah, he was really impressive. And we we at least see why the Bulls that supposed interest was there. Like I, I think I feel like I saw somebody on Twitter mention, oh, they should have just taken Jackson Hayes, and then they could have traded Carter or something. Like I feel like that might be getting ahead of ourselves, uh, just based off a hot summer league showing. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't really rule out any basically anything with the with this draft stuff. Like I, I feel like I've learned just not to rule out most things and make like grand declarations after one summer league or after a little bit. But I mean, it certainly is. At least after watching that summer league, just tantalizing to think of uh, Jackson Hayes in a Bulls uniform. Uh, I only got one more. This is from my boy Jermaine. He asked, the two players on the Bulls that need to reach their full potential are Wendell and Lowry. Lowry being a Dirk-like player with the same skill set and size and Wendell being an Al Horford type. Which of those two players will come closest to hitting that comp? I like the the Carter Horford comparison. Obviously, Horford's had a terrific career. Uh, if you go back to those old Hawks teams with Josh Smith, Joe Johnson, a young Jeff Teague, even back then, Horford was totally underrated. He was playing the four when obviously his best position was the five. They were starting Zaza Pachulia, who was grabbing the mic like a WWE player, young game seven. It was great to have him around, obviously, but. I, I do like the the comparison to to Horford for Carter. I'm really high on Carter. I think that he is the best looking prospect on the team. I think that if he isn't poised for a big jump up this year, because of course he's already hurt, the Bulls can't even get into training camp without getting one of their core pieces hurt. I think in year three, he at least he should have a big jump. He's still only going to be 20 years old this whole season, so he is super young. The Lowry-Dirk comparison, I mean, they are both seven-footers with sweet shooting strokes. 
I think that Lowry really needs to diversify his game a little bit more uh, to become a complete offensive player. His main area of improvement is definitely as a passer because you think of the way the NBA works nowadays. It's like more offensive initiator driven than pure point guard driven. What you want is Lowry to like run a pick and roll or to run in isolation. And then when guys crash on him, he can make a pass to an open teammate. Uh, we haven't seen that from him yet at all. Not that that was really Dirk's game either, but Dirk became a star in a different era. I think that Carter to Horford is a much more likely outcome than Lowry to Dirk. Yeah, I mean, Dirk Nowitzki is a future Hall of Famer, the best players of all time, basically kind of revolutionized the game. Uh, obviously, the game is a lot different now at this point, but still, just like for Lowry to get to Dirk's level would take just a whole lot, basically everything going right there. So definitely, proud. I mean, it's an easy comparison to make given uh, what they look like, their style of play, but hold horses on that. Yeah, the Horford thing was basically what has been mentioned a lot with Carter, just the overall skill set, the just not super athletic, but real just solid defender, smart defender. It makes a lot of sense. And, and if Carter's a guy who's basically just like a borderline all-star for a really long time, I, mean, I think that makes a lot of sense and is a reasonable goal for him, for him to get. Uh, you said you were done with those questions, right? I do have a few. Okay. All right. So this, uh, this one we got, this is like a three part question a guy had, but I think they're all pretty good. Makes sense. So basically first one's about Chris Dunn. If Dunn is not moved, how does he fit with basically the guards they have in place? Kobe, Sadaransi, Levine, Valentin, and Arch Diakono. We all think he's going, I think, I think he's going to get traded. You said you think he's going to get traded. If he actually does stay, like, what do you think his role will be? Will he be the backup point guard? Would he be the backup two? I guess I'm not totally sure that I, because I feel like he, kind of could do that is it would basically be like almost like a Swiss army Marcus smart type who could basically kind of play both positions. Yeah. I think that he would basically be the offensive initiator when Levine isn't in the game. Levine's not going to be able to handle that role all the time, obviously. And he's not even that good at it in the first place. I think that the bulls would benefit from having another guy who could initiate the offense. Chris Dunn is the next best guy on the team at doing that. I think, so there is a clear role for him, I think, if he is on the team. And that's just like the backup guy who initiates the offense. When Levine's not in the game, you have Chris Dunn do it. You can mix and match with Sadoransky because he's got the size and the shooting to play on or off the ball. So I, I do actually think there is a role for Chris Dunn. And part of that is because I think that Kobe's going to be more of a developmental guy than an instant impact guy. I, I do think Chris Dunn would have a featured offensive role when Levine's out of the game, should they keep him. Yeah, I think if you if we look at some of the numbers, just like Levine with or done with Levine versus done without Levine, it, there's a, just a glaring difference. Uh, so that would that would make some kind of sense. Just split them up, try to maximize Dunn's ability without Levine. Uh, moving on to the next question is basically the Bulls basically have a full roster right now, but if they did trade Dunn for either just like a draft pick to open up a roster spot or if there was a wing I guess out there I'm not really sure who would they even trade for at this point uh basically the question was are there any wings available if they want they've talked about possibly getting a wing shooter uh I mean I guess Justin Holiday is out there and there was that rumor like would you want Justin Holiday back like they could try to re-sign Wayne Selden I think Vince Carter is still out there possibly for one more season I've I ha- haven't looked at the other the other like I mean it's starting to get the slim pickings at this point Besides trading done, they could also just waive Blakeney. We've talked about this multiple times. There's really no point for Blake Antonio Blakeney on this roster. Easy way to clear roster space if they want to sign a wing. It's basically guaranteed like one point, like the minimum. Eat that money and 
go sign somebody else. It would really, it wouldn't cost that much. And though, and it's basically be a drop in the bucket. Anybody out there who you think that they should try to either to try, try to sign to be a wing of uh, just some depth. Yeah. I haven't looked at just like available guys around the league. I did like Selden last year. So I would bring Selden back for a minimum deal. If, if that's a possibility for him. And like you said, cut Blakeney yesterday. Blakeney should be off this team, especially with Kobe White here now. You have kind of your young shoot-first guard off the bench. Blakeney, if he is on the team, should never see a minute, so he shouldn't be on the team. They should cut him right now. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, totally agree. I've kind of been banging this drum for a while now. Uh, and then this final question he had was, what areas of emphasis do you think the new assistants will bring from the Nets Rockets? Which I think is a pretty good question. We've kind of talked about this a little bit. Chris Fleming from the Nets seems like he's an, uh, is the offensive guru. And if you look at the Nets the last couple of seasons, we talked about how they kind of rose from the dead after that bad trade and how they just kind of just rejuvenated their whole and built this whole new culture by playing fast and shooting a ton of threes. That was basically their whole game. And I think Fleming was also with the Nuggets a few years ago as well. They had good things to say. So I think like we, we criticized Boyle in a ton for their slow down offensive, pay, uh, offensive game last year. He says they're going to play a lot faster. I think Chris Fleming's uh, coaching style is going to Based on what we saw with the Nets, I think that's what's gonna. That's what they're gonna do. At least we certainly hope so. And then for the Rockets, they hired the Bulls hired Roy, Roy Rogers. He was with the Rockets. Uh, he was their defensive guru, and he's he did a lot of work with Clint Capella. So I think we're that's probably hopefully we'll see him doing work with Wendell Carter Jr. with Daniel Gafford, who's been compared to Clint Capella. So just I guess just kind of hoping that he has that kind of influence on the bigs and helps them become uh, defensive anchors. I have nothing else to add there. That was perfectly said. Uh, speaking of the Rockets, uh, they just traded Chris Paul to the Thunder for, and somebody asked about the Bulls and Chris Paul. But the question is, let me let me pull it up here. Is there a world where Chris Paul makes sense for the Bulls? Mentor Kobe White, develop young bids, maybe bigs, maybe get an asset for taking on the salary. I say absolutely not. I feel like it's there's really no point. It came out today that the Thunder really haven't been able to find a trade, and they're probably not going to trade him. He's going to start the season with Oklahoma City, and at this point, I mean, I really would have no use for Chris Paul. I mean, I guess if the Thunder were willing to like give up a lot, I'm not even sure how the Bulls would match to that salary. They'd probably have to give up Otto Porter Jr. in that trade to match salary, and I mean, at this point, that I mean, you're not doing that. Otto Porter Jr. is arguably your best player on the team. Say no to Chris Paul. I just don't see how a deal works at this point. Yeah, I do think someone like Chris Paul would make Lowry and Wendell a lot better, which would help them. I think it would push Zach into a more appropriate role for him. But the problem is his goodness is kind of hanging on by a thread. He's still got, I think, three years left. So for an injury-prone guy, if he gets hurt again, you're killing his trade value. You're putting a knife in the heart of the 2021 plan, which is a bullshit plan anyway. But you know, you might as well go for it at least because you can't do anything else at this point. No, I would not sign Chris Paul. I do think he's still a pretty effective player in the right system. And my guess is the Thunder will move him to a contender by playoff time. Yeah, he'll probably get traded maybe after December 15th when guys who sign deals. But at this point right now, it's just so hard to make a big move like that. Uh, A couple more before we wrap up here. Uh, I think it's a pretty good one. Is it realistic to think the Bulls will convince Otto Porter to opt out in order to work on a longer term deal? four-year $80 million range. We kind of saw that happen with Harrison Barnes and the Kings. Otto Porter's probably better than Harrison Barnes is at this point. Definitely better. I, I'm not sure if four-year... Definitely better. I hear I make fun of Harrison Barnes all the time because he's average, and Otto Porter's actually pretty good. Four-year $80 million might With the cap going up, I'm not sure if that's going to get it done for Otto Porter Jr., considering he just made like four one oh five, I think, on this deal. 
I don't want to say he's lived up to it, but like I said, he's been a pretty damn good player. Something like that wouldn't make sense. I would guess a lot of it will depend on what the Bulls are wanting to do with their cap space in 2021. Like if they don't feel that any free agents are coming, work on a long-term deal for Otto Porter Jr. Absolutely. Why not? If anything, you could always re-sign him to trade him down the road. I think he'll have value at that point. He'll be what, like 27, 28 years old, still basically right in the middle of his prime. I think that would probably be something that makes a lot of sense as long as they don't need that cap space for a star free agent. Yeah, it's pretty interesting that Porter can opt out of his deal. What's he making? $25 million a year, maybe even a little more than that. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think in a couple of years, it'll be like, tw- I think his player option is like $27, 28000000 million. Okay, so, you know, it seems crazy to opt out of that, but for a guy who's still going to be, I think, 27 next year, uh, it doesn't make sense to sign a long-term deal. We'll see what Otto Porter does. If he has a big year, if he's able to stay healthy, he probably will opt out and he'll be likely one of the, five best free agents available on the market. So that is actually one of the more underrated subplot of this bowl season. Will Porter, you know, exercise the option, become a free agent this year, or does he stick around for one year longer? I think it'd be more beneficial for the Bulls to have him stick around for two years. And then you reassess, maybe you still bring him back. I think you'd have his bird rights still in that situation. So you can theoretically send him over the cap. That's all we've got, Jason. One one or two more real quick, and I totally screwed up by saying wait for the cap space about our report, Junior. They'd have to make that decision next year, obviously. But yeah, I, I, f- I feel like they'd probably take that into 2021 and then maybe try to re-sign him then. Bre- Bradley Beal, you think there's any chance the Bulls make a play for him? Uh, what do you think it would take? Yeah, I was going to bring this up w- during the Jimmy Butler segment. Even if they got Bradley Beal, who's awesome, he's not close to as good as Jimmy Butler in 2017. So if the question is in five years, will they have a player better than Jimmy Butler? If they get Bradley Beal, the answer is still no. Yes, I do think they should go get him, for sure. I think Bradley Beal is awesome. I think that he's been in some of those USA basketball situations where maybe he could help recruit a guy. I think there's a chance that his best years could still be ahead of him. His game's going to age well, most likely because he's a shooter, uh, not a super explosive athlete. So, dude, I mean, if you could trade Kobe and Zach Levine for Bradley Beal, I would do it right now. Uh, I would have to think about it, but I would probably... Be coerced. I, I still have some faith that Levine's just going to like take another step, but I don't, Bradley Beal is really awesome for sure. Last one, for sure. Who do you think takes the biggest jump on the Bulls this season? It better be Lowry. They really needed to be Lowry this year. I do have faith in his, in his game because I actually like his ball handling ability a little bit. I do think he can create a, a bit more off the dribble than he's shown thus far. It's a hard question to answer because you're talking about what next to like relative expectations or against previous production. I don't, I don't know. I guess I guess I'll go Lowry. I think Lowry would be a good one. I think you can make a case for Wendell, especially after he was hurt. He showed some nice things, but if he took a big jump in his second season, especially as like a defensive anchor, and we see more, because I think there's so much more to Carter's offensive game we could see if they, especially if they open things up a bit. Pot, I think he's also a, probably a pretty good option there. I mentioned Levine taking another step, like. He's already pretty good. Like I feel like he for him if he took like a big step, like maybe getting into like top twenty ish player in the league level and like also level, like that'd be a pretty huge jump. So I think Lowry would make sense because he still has a big jump to make. I feel like he probably could, and then I feel like Wendell as well. Other than that, I really don't think there's anybody else in the roster who's like in line for a huge, huge jump. Uh, we'll be that'll do it for us. Uh, thank you to everybody out there for all your questions. I apologize if we didn't get to them. Get to all of them. We tried to get to as many as possible. Didn't want to keep rambling on here. But uh, yeah, that's that's basically it for this week. As always, shout out to Blue Wire Pods. And again, shout out to Harry's. Go please check out harrys.com slash Blue Wire for a great shaving deal. 
get all your shaving needs. It's always great stuff. Go, please go check out all our pods across the Blue Wire Network. We got so many good ones. We're adding new ones. We just added a Miami Heat pod as well. Shout out to them. As always, for us, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, all that fun stuff. Please, so please do do that. We always appreciate all you listeners giving us feedback and all that kind of stuff. So until next time, next week, uh, this has been Cash Considerations, the Chicago Bulls podcast. It's been Jason, Ricky. Take it easy, my man. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.